the Christian's enemies. Okay, now, I don't know if anyone can just tell me um, the first enemy and describe for me a little bit what you understood of the first enemy. Who was the first enemy that we spoke about? Um, there's, a, there's a microphone over there. Can someone put your hand up and uh, Grant will just give you the microphone. We're going to hear what you think the first enemy of the Christian is. Any volunteers? Yes, okay. Clive, behind you. Uh, the uh, um, uh, good evening, everyone. Um, the devil is one of our enemies. Good, excellent. Well done, um, um, Clive. The devil, and he fires fiery arrows, fiery darts at us in order to try to bring um, us into a state of confusion, defeat, and despair. The devil is one of the enemies. Second enemy. Someone else. Go on, Jill. The microphone's there. The flesh is our second enemy. Can you open it up a little bit? What do you mean by the flesh? Um, let me think. Uh, the way we behave, our attitude to things. Um, we discuss various different things. Um, sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut, but we open it instead because we're speaking from our sinful nature rather than our spiritual nature because we should be born again. We are Christians. Yeah, Yeah, and um, we spoke again about how the flesh is the traitor that lives within us and he he seeks to come out and try to um, drag us. It's in league with the devil trying to drag us. In. Now, the third enemy, and Kim's going to come and speak in a few moments, but the third enemy, the devil is the enemy. He's not the only one. The flesh is also an enemy. He's, and the flesh is not the, the third enemy is the world. Now, the world in which we live is very, very strong, very serious. And we need to look at that and, and, and open it up a little bit. Now, before we jump into the New Testament, because that's where we want to go. We want to go to the New Testament. But before we jump into the New Testament, the world actually appears a number of times in the Old Testament. So we want to look at a few verses in the Old Testament where God actually addresses some of his servants in the Old Testament regarding this issue. So the first person that God says that he needs to speak to, of course, is Abraham. And do you remember what God said to Abraham? God said to Abraham this, The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, Abraham's people, his country, and his father's household were all pagan worshippers. They all worshipped the stars, they all worshipped idols, they worshipped... The whole land of Ur was full of idol worship. And God said to Abraham, who was a pagan himself... God revealed himself to Abraham and said to Abraham, leave what your family and your people were doing. Number one. Number two, you all know number two. Number two, remember um, our friend Lot. Remember him? He was in the um, city of Sodom and Gomorrah and say no more. The whole word Sodom just already reminds us that 
Sodom and Gomorrah was a sinful and wicked city. And somehow, Lot, who was living out in a country somewhere, somehow he moved his tent from out there, right in the middle of Sodom. And so, you know the story, don't you? The angels come. And this is what the angels said to him. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your lives. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Who looked back? Why do you think Lot's wife looked back? Anybody got any? Why do you think Lot's wife looked back? Just raise your hands. Anybody? Say it in the microphone so that um, we can hear you. Maybe it was the pull of the world. Maybe it was the pull of the world. And I think Jill's got to hit the nail on the head. I think Lot's wife liked Sodom. She liked the the markets, and she liked the coffee shops, and she liked the people and the friends. She liked what was going on in Sodom. The country was boring, but she liked the city, you know, and she looked back. Her heart wasn't leaving Sodom. And in the Old Testament, we get the impression that the city of Sodom had to be forsaken, had to be left, because it was worldly. The third and final part in the Old Testament, before I just hand over to Kim to come up and share a little bit more what the New Testament says. And what we do, we just going to lay the foundations today. And then next week, we're going to look a little bit more about how do we fight against the world. The third thing here we see is, um, um, well, I think it's Israel. Now, Israel is found, the people of Israel was in Egypt, if you remember, and Egypt, we read here, now it came about in the course of those that many days that the king of Egypt died and the son of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out and they cried for help and they cried for help because of their bondage, of their bondage. That doesn't sound right to me. And they cried out for help because of their bondage, rose up to God God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. So they were in, there was in Egypt and in Egypt they were in bondage and in slavery. Now the whole of the Old Testament speaks really much that Egypt is synonymous to being the world, keeping you down, keeping you chained. And God turns around and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And God was concerned for them and God wanted to get them out from slavery, to get them out from Egypt, out from bondage, out from slavery. And, you know, Jesus Christ has come to get us out from bondage, bondage of sin. 
So we see in the Old Testament already, there's some stuff about the world. But um, we don't really come into understanding it as clearly until we come into the New Testament. Okay, and then Kim's going to come and just open up a little bit about what is in the New Testament regarding the world. Okay, thanks, Kim. Okay, so today we're talking about the Christian's third enemy. Have you ever watched a film where someone is being held captive in a remote cabin in the forest by some evil monster, and suddenly they see a chance to get free, and they make a break for it, and they're rushing through the woods until suddenly they place their foot in a snare and the steely jaws clamp down on their ankle, or they run over a pile of leaves and not realize there's a deep hole underneath and they fall down into it. Or there's a tripwire set up that they fall over. Or they place their foot in a noose and are suddenly hoisted 10 feet in the air by their ankle. And while they're hanging there, trapped there, unable to get away, helpless, you know that their captor has set this trap so that they cannot escape and is coming back for them. Well, these are the sorts of films that keep you awake at night. Well, certainly keep me awake at night. So you see, the world is like this. Satan does not need to be on your back 24-7. He does not follow you all the way to work, sit next to you at your desk, travel on the train with you. He lets you go off on your own, knowing that he has peppered your path with hidden pits that you can fall down. He has placed traps that will bring you to your knees. He has nooses hidden just waiting for you to put your foot in one. He has filled this world with traps that destroy people by holding them in a vice-like grip. And once he has them in that trap, he has them exactly where he wants them, and he's not letting go. So what are the traps, and how do we avoid them? Well, the Bible speaks about the world in two different ways. Sometimes it's talking about the world as in the creation, all that God has made, for God so loved the world. But at other times, it's talking about the corrupt value system of this world, the things that the world promotes, the way this world thinks, the way this world is totally against God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the sinful nature and how the sinful nature cannot agree with God over any issue. It is absolutely opposed to God. Uh, we looked at the verse from Galatians 5.17, which says, The flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other. Well, the world is just the same. The Bible tells us that the values of this world are set up to be against God. Or 1 John 2:16 says, "For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world." 
The value system of this world is corrupt and full of traps that want to ensnare you so that you cannot serve God. You cannot see God. You cannot even think about God because you have been sucked into the world's system. You're running for freedom, but the world is not going to let you escape without a fight. The world will promise you freedom, promise you happiness, and show you all of its wonders. This is what happened to Jesus, isn't it? When he was tempted by Satan, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Again, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All this I will give you, he said, if you will fall down and worship me. You see, this, what this world has to offer is very attractive. What this world has to offer does promise a lot. What this world shows us is a lifestyle that we falsely believe will make us happy. It's a mirage, really. It's a hologram that disappears as soon as you touch it. Because what the world is offering is only temporary. 1 John 2:17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now Jesus knew this. And through his word, he wants us to know it too, so that we can resist all those traps that are waiting for us. We are to see them coming. We are to see through the plot. We are to uncover the trap and safely walk past it. If Jesus had given in, if he had shaken hands on the deal that Satan had offered him, he would have had to fall down and worship Satan. He could not have worshipped God. And that is the whole point. The whole point of why the world wants us to get caught up in chasing after the things of this world, because when we are hooked, when we bow down, when we worship something else, we can't worship God any longer. John Calvin, one of our great theologians, said this, the human heart is an idol factory. We can make a god out of anything. Now, normally when we talk about idols, we think of man-made gods that other people worship, those little tiny statues or even those great big statues that people bow down to. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, my dear friends, free, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Flee from idols. Any passionate desire of our hearts that is not put there by God for his glory can become an idol. And this world is full of traps set up by Satan. The world and Satan are working in league with your flesh to ensnare you and stop you from worshipping God. Our flesh our sinful nature, sees all of these things that the world flags up to us and we want them. The traitor within us sees these things as far more important than God. The traitor within us tells us that these things are harmless. They are fun. They are what living is all about. They are what make you happy. You deserve them. And before you know it, 
you are trapped, dangling by your ankle. You have a new God. The world has presented an idol to you, and you have been caught by one, and you will spend years, if not your whole life, worshipping it. You've put your, tr- your foot in a, tr- in a trap, in the snare of materialism. You must have that sofa. You must have that kitchen, that jacket, that set of golf clubs, that piece of jewellery, that watch, those shoes. And suddenly, the sharp jaws of that particular snare will clamp down on you. You'd be caught up in painful debt and money problems. And if you're not in debt, you would just have wasted so much money and you'll have to have the next thing and the next thing and you'll never be satisfied. Or you've tripped over the wire that promises pleasure, escape, fantasy and reward. That first sip, that first puff, that first bite, that first pill, that first click on an internet site that you look at in private, you're hooked. And as much as you fight to get free, you're trapped and you wonder how you could ever have been so foolish. Or you put your foot in a noose that suddenly tightens around you and the noose says, just enjoy yourself. You're not hurting anyone. You deserve this. You've worked hard for years. You're a jolly, decent human being. You're so good, you don't need God. And if there is a God, he probably hopes he's just like you. That noose will choke you and eventually kill you and send you to a lost eternity because you're trapped in your own self-righteousness, the pride of life. The gods that the world offers you will cause you to fall in love with them, to be addicted to them, to be loyal to them, to put them before anything else. And suddenly, you're too busy pursuing that career, that house, that car, that holiday, that trip you always promised yourself, or you're chasing pleasure, and having chased it all through Friday and Saturday, Sunday morning rolls around and you're either still chasing pleasure, or you're exhausted by it and need a lie-in. If the world can't capture you with the pursuit of fame and fortune, it will capture you in other ways. No one is immune. Putting pleasure first does not necessarily mean giving yourself over to drugs and alcohol or indulging your fantasies. It may be something far more tame, but just as deadly. The Sunday morning trip to the allotment, the bike ride through the forest, the hobby that has taken over your life. Again, everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. 1 John 2, 1. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mark 8, 36. This world is temporary. It's passing away. It's, pathet- it's a pathetic compensation to receive in exchange for your eternal soul. If you could gain the whole world and everything in it, it would not be enough to make up for the loss of your soul. 
Now, we heard on Sunday that there is a way to live, a way to handle our time, a way to handle our money, so that we don't get caught up in this world's corrupt system, so that we're not burdened by debt, by money worries, by court cases, by other troubles, so that we can concentrate on what's important. If we don't, if we do, get, if we do give in to the world, we become useless Christians. We're so entangled in the things of the world that we're struggling to break free. We cripple our spiritual lives by loving the world, which is why we have to be so careful about anything that is competing with God for our attention and our time. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't think that you're immune. You can handle it. There's a sad verse in the Bible that speaks of Demas, who was a worker alongside the Apostle Paul. How amazing that must have been for him. But then Paul says this of him in 2 Timothy 4.10. Okay, we've lost the PowerPoint. He says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. You see, even Demas got caught up in the traps of the world. So you can see our three enemies make a formidable team. Satan and his fiery darts, the flesh or our sinful nature, all teaming up with the world. But the wonderful thing is, we are not ignorant of our enemy. And in Christ, we have everything we need to run for freedom to cross the finish line, to walk into glory, and to hear a roar of victory that no Olympic athlete has ever heard on earth. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. How true. The world, flesh, and the devil. How true. Thank you very much, Kim, for that. But... um, I don't know about your experiences. Do you, have you got anything that you... I mean, I know that we've all got things. Some of us have had problems with different things in our lives, whether it's... I know Tom would, would turn around and say that back in the day when he was much younger, drink was a thing, wasn't it, Tom, um, you know, in, in your life? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? You got a mic for, got a mic for, um, for Tom? Yeah, I was... Um, like Kim was saying... It don't take long to get hooked, just a sip, you know, sometimes, and you're hooked. And I was hooked on alcohol for a number of years and cried out to the Lord, and he was the one who set me free. But it wasn't a nice place to be. So, you know, I, I like what Eric always <laughs> said to me, you know, he said, the ship's all right on the water, but it's when the water gets in the ship. And it's like us. If we're in the world and the world starts getting in us, We've got to be on our guard and, and watch. I like that. Well, um, you know, it's okay, you know, being in the, in the world. We have to be in the world, you know. Some Christians try to get out, don't they? You know, you hear about, you know, the monks and those people who know the Bible. They say, no, let's get out of the world. It's horrible. But Jesus said, and he prayed, do not take them out. I'm praying that you'll keep them in the world, not take them out. But I like what Tom said about that, that, that little quote, you know. It's when the world gets into us, when the water gets into the ship, then there's some, some serious issues taking place um, in our lives. Thank you, Tom, for sharing that. Anybody else? Keep going. 
You want to say, go on. Pardon? I thought you had something to say. No. No. I was just thinking. There okay, isn't, sorry. There isn't one of us sitting here that couldn't relate to what Kim was saying in more than one area at least. Mm, yeah. it, and it was quite scary listening to her actually, mm. even though I find it amazing, you know, because it's like a revelation. Mm. You're sort of thinking, oh my goodness me, mm. you know, yeah. and uh, I don't know if other people felt, oh my goodness me, but mm. I did. Yeah. <laughs> we can all relate to it. That's right. the, the things we do that we just sort of think are, are normal. Yeah. And they're worldly. That's right, yeah. You know. I do like the point of escape, escaping. You know, when you become a Christian, it is as if you have escaped. But, you know, we need to train Christians to believe and to understand that being set free from Christ doesn't mean you automatically get transferred into glory. You know, there's all these pitfalls, all these traps, you know. If any, if any of you ever read The Christian Pilgrim's Progress, which is an old book, you know, some of you may not have read it, but Pilgrim's Progress, when the guy gets saved and he goes out on his Christian journey, you know, to the celestial, to the celestial city? Yeah, celestial city, I could say to the Emerald City. Not to the Emerald City, that's, that's the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> to the celestial city. The, the journey is fraught with problems, you know, dangers. And I think Christians need to understand that the world in which we live is seeking to ensnare us and to trap us. Even though it cannot stop us from getting from being saved, it certainly can damage your Christian walk um, in, 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 in the Lord. Um, thank you, Mike. Um, Grant? Yeah, Jerry's just mentioned about Pilgrim's Progress, and that's a, a story I've loved to tell the children over many years. As well. and, and, and as part of that, as it were, one of the things that happens, he's walking along the road, that, that, uh, and the road is rough, it's full of stones, and alongside, he looks over into the field, uh, and it looks like a, a nice green field with a nice smooth path on it. And it looks at all like the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. So he and his friend go over the fence and start walking on this nice green field. And that leads them further and further away from the right path. And eventually they get captured by giant despair and end up in Doubting Castle uh, and despair of even having life uh, at that time. It's worth, so he, they were tempted to go off the right way, the way that they knew which was right, uh, and it eventually led them into a lots and lots of problems. So uh, if you want, I can tell, tell the story with pictures sometime. <laughs> Well, that's absolutely right. And there's another part in that, in that whole book where there's a, a, a place called Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. And, and we all drove past, don't we? Drive past. We see the fair and we see the lights and we see the rides and you're going past it and everybody who sees the lights will always stop and look. But in this, I mean, the, um, John Bunyan paints the world like that. It's Vanity Fair. It catches your eye. It's attractive. You want to go and see what's there. But it takes you off the path of Christian discipleship where you're meant to be walking and you get pulled in to what the world has caused you to be pulled into. Yes, go on, Grant. The, uh, all of this ties in nicely what, what, what Kim said when she said that um, the enemy peppers our path or you know, peppers the area around us. You know, we're always sort of looking at maybe bigger things in our life to, to overcome or to put to one side or to separate ourselves from. But these little snares, you know, really 
spoke to me that did, you know, and I, and I sort of smiled when she said it because I've, you know, I've been through that myself and, and, and will continue to do so, you know, little things that are just laid out, uh, as I think Chris was saying, you know, in his story where they just catch your eye and they just cause you just to veer off the path. You know, they're not huge things that, that annihilate you, you know, but they're just little things that are there and they may just come up every few days, you know, and they just, it's just enough, just very cleverly enough just to keep you occupied without you realising this is actually something that little bit by little bit is just constantly got the back of your T-shirt or the back of your jumper and it's just stopping you from moving forward. And, you know, but it's very, very subtle and sometimes we don't realise it. Those little pepperings are the ones that you've got to keep your eye on. Yeah, I do like what you just said about um, keep you occupied. You know, occupied. I think that's a very good word because, you know, when you're occupied with the things of this world, you cannot be occupied with things of God. You know, because, you know, and, and, and Kim mentioned about, you know, Satan saying to Jesus, you can have everything, but you've got to worship me. Can you just imagine Jesus worshiping Satan? And yet, when we go for the world's values, we are indirectly worshiping the enemy. Absolutely amazing. Indirectly, we're bowing down to him. Yes, go on, Clive. Um, when, uh, when the song says, um, my chains are gone, I'm being set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, that means that he has freed us from the chains of this world. Does, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, Clive. Excellent. You know, praise God. I thought Clive was on X Factor then. Well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to sign this man up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right, Clive. Well sung as well, you know. Um, yeah, we have been set free from, from the chains of this world that seek to hold us down. Wonderful. Yes, go on, Chris. Thank you. Just, just building upon that, Jesus said, I am the light of the world and if you follow me you won't walk in darkness but will have the light of life you will have his light in your life and it will shine as well he, he is the light of the world he shines brightly and exposes the world's values and, and, and issues and he's obviously overcome through the world through the cross yes I've um, got Chris at the back there so um, could you give um, the microphone to Chris please right at the back Speaking about the um, the three enemies, Satan, the flesh, and now the world. Satan, the flesh, and the world is a direct attack against the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is why I hope that everyone here will not just call themselves a Christian and say they believe in Jesus Christ, but actually be active in the Word and be feeding upon the Word so that the desires of the flesh can be controlled and the ways of the world will be kept far from and Chris just mentioned that, you know, the, the flesh, the world, and the devil seem like the unholy trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the holy trinity. But we've got the flesh, the world, and the devil in you know, an unholy trinity that is seeking to get its hands. Thank you for that, Chris, you know, you know, on the Christian. Praise God. Anyone else? Chris is going to say something in a few minutes. Yeah. Well, go, go on, Grant, then hand over to Chris. Uh, well, 
what was the word I just said to you? It occupied. Is that what I said? Yeah, that's it occupied, yeah. occupied, yeah. I was listening to a sermon the other day. I won't go into the sermon, but it, it talks about <clears throat> how busy we all are. You know, it's another thing that, I know we're on that anyway, but when we say to someone, how you been? You know, how you doing? The first thing that someone comes back with is, you know, I'm busy. I'm so busy. And all these things that are introduced into the world now are meant to simplify our life. You know, the smartphones and the stacks of other things that, that are introduced into our lives. But in fact, our lives are so much busier. We're so much more occupied because of these smartphones that are meant to simplify our lives. We've now got so much at our fingertips, so many messages, notifications to answer. You know, that's another thing that really does, you know, come into our life that we need, we need to address. I know I do. That I'm, I'm, I constantly feel like I've got so many things to do that, that, that occupy me, you know. It's, it's another thing that we should keep our eye on, yeah. Seeing what Grant has just said, I've actually used a smartphone to look up the, the, uh, a Bible concordance during the, 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 this evening. And one of the key verses that's come out about the world is 1 John 5 verse 19. And it says there, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So the world, the flesh, and the devil are linked together. The devil is, uses the world is where he controls the world. But Jesus is ultimately says that I am the light of the world. So that one, 1 John 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 19. Well, I was just going to give you um, a typical example of being occupied. You said when you saw me this evening, I looked exhausted. Well, my Christmas is going to be at the end of November rather than December because my family are coming down then. So I've got to get ready for Christmas a month early, which started tonight. And I spent an hour and a half on the computer buying gifts from Amazon. Uh, everything was going all right. And uh, there was supposed to be no postage. And then it went through and there was postage. And I was so stressed at the end of it all. And I thought, what a waste of Time. This is not what I want to be doing. You know, this was supposed to save time. But I just got mad about it and everything. Just not mad at anybody, mad at myself. But it just seems such a waste of time. I mean, obviously, you like, I don't know why I started a couple of years ago buying older people in the family presents, and I wish I never had. <laughs> and now it can't stop. <laughs> it's a bit, but you know, we. You think about Christmas, and it can occupy so much time instead of being the real thing, what it's really about. And if you think about those that can't have those kind of Christmases, they're far more focused on what Christmas is than we are, really, I think. you know. So I was occupied with the world tonight. That's how I felt. I wonder if we can... Because um, I was speaking about on, on Sunday. You know, I wonder if we could begin to concentrate on what's really important, getting ourselves ready for the return of Christ. And that is the, the greatest event that's going to take place. Getting ourselves ready for, for him to come back again and filling our, our, our hours, you know, with, with drawing closer to him. And I think our Wednesday nights have been very much like that, be very much as, you know, let's just draw closer to the Lord. You know, let's be more aware of how we're walking, be more aware of our enemy, be more aware of our surroundings as Christian people and draw close to the Lord. 
So next week, um, as we, we study again, I'll be looking at and trying to give you some tools on how to stay focused in a world that seeks to bring you into distraction. You know, how to do it, what to do, things that you can add into your Christian life, Christian walk. How did the people in the Word did it themselves? Um, Kim mentioned um, and said that none of us are immune. You know, even Demas, that man who was with the Apostle Paul, he's seen some really wonderful things. Even Judas Iscariot, let's talk about him. You know, even walking with Jesus Christ. You know, nevertheless, love the money bike. You know, love the world. And these men, you know, went back into the world. We all can go back into the world. And maybe not, we are truly saved. You know, you will be saved. You know, we're not saying you will lose your salvation. But what we are saying is that your testimony will be totally and utterly ruined uh, if you go back into, into the things of this world.